Hello and welcome. My name is Sarah Ball and this is New Corp Portfolio Spotlight, an opportunity to spend some time talking in a little more depth about some of the holdings we have in our portfolios. As many of you know, our investment process involves deep fundamental research into the companies we hold. We look at not only the data, but also we engage with management teams and industry experts so that we can really understand what drives the businesses and also the competitors and the wider sector. So I'm delighted to be joined today by Rory Mars, one of our equity analysts. Rory, hello. Hi, Sarah. So Rory, today we're going to look at the snappily named Canadian Pacific Kansas City, or CPKC for short, which is a North American railroad and a company that we have recently added to our portfolios. I think especially for those of us in the UK or other smaller countries, perhaps the sheer scale of the North American railroads and their role in keeping the whole country going is not something we're really familiar with, or certainly not compared to you, maybe. Yeah, I think maybe that's fair. And and just as a bit of background, this is a, a sector that I've covered in varying degrees for about 15 years prior to joining R&Co. So about six or seven of those, I was a, a sector specialist just shortly after the global financial crisis. And then after that, I still covered it, but from a more generalist perspective. So for those less familiar to kind of set the scene, you're right, this is very different from what we have over here in, in the UK or even in Europe. You know, these railroads, they own the land, the track, they operate the railroads. They basically control the entire pinch points of the supply chain. But what's also really important to point out is just the sheer scale of these things. So, you know, the, the average train that CPKC runs would stretch from our offices, Newcourt, near Bank Station, all the way to Covent Garden. The longest trains would stretch from our offices here at Newcourt all the way to Marble Arch. These things are colossal. The average train weighs the same as you know, 4,000 Range Rovers. It's just a totally different scale. So thinking about the industry itself, Rory, what are the key things that we should know about railroads and, and what makes them an attractive investment for us? What I want the kind of key message to leave with the listeners is that these uh, businesses have unbelievable staying power and real pricing power. And that's what I think really makes them ideal investments for the new court strategy. So I think there's really very, very few businesses globally that you can have such a high degree of confidence in being around in 20, 30 years time. You look at some of the things that Buffett said about the railroad industry, for instance, and he owns one of the largest North American railroads. Right. Uh, he said it, he thinks it will be a key asset in the Berkshire uh, portfolio in 100 years time. Uh, I think that really shows the kind of the staying power and the barriers to entry. Broadly, the way I think about these businesses is that they are really deregulated regional monopolies. And some of the details that go into that is firstly, they're vertically integrated, something I alluded to earlier. Yeah. You know, they own the land, they own the tracks, they own the rolling stock, they operate it, you know, full control of the pinch point. They're totally irreplicable assets. These things were built over 100 years ago with gifted lands from, from the government. So put things in perspective. So CPKC, which we're going to talk in more depth today, to recreate that rail network, you would have firstly have to acquire 21,000 kilometres of contiguous land across Canada, US and Mexico. And even if you could do that for free, then you'd still have to spend around about $100 billion to lay the track, buy the rolling stock, and then you'd have to employ the people. And when you consider that CPKC's total enterprise value, or the, you know, the total worth of the business is less than that, nobody is going to build another North American railroad in our lifetime. It's also quite a highly consolidated um, sector. There's only seven large uh, railroads in North America, two in each region, so Canada, Eastern US, Western US and Mexico. And they're inextricably linked with the, uh, the economy and are vital to its function. 
and what's maybe less intuitive here is that these are they're getting more important to the to the functioning of the economy. They're gaining share from truck, which, given the age of this kind of industry, is is somewhat counterintuitive. And and as I said earlier, you know they have real pricing power, which is a, a real focal point for us in our in our work. Sure, always important for us. And I think you know when we've been talking about this, there is there are some interesting things that aren't really relevant to it being a, a good investment, but it's quite a unique industry, right? Yeah, very much so. You know, they effectively built North America, right? So there's there's a, a huge number of kind of idiosyncrasies. And, so, you know, railroads have their own labor laws. They have their own social security system. They're exempt from normal antitrust laws. And they even have their own police forces with the ability to arrest. You know, they're, they're really steeped in history. So if, if you go back and, say, take the first ever stock index that's created by Dow Jones, there was 11 constituents in that, nine of which were railroads. One of those is still in existence today, and that's Union uh, Pacific. Looking at CPKC specifically, CP played a key part in the negotiations of bringing British Columbia to be part of Canada. You know, these things are really historically significant. And as you say, it, you know, it unlikely to make it a good investment, but it's interesting nonetheless. Sure. So if we think about our decision to buy uh, CPKC in, in particular, uh, what research did we do? You know, who did we speak to? And presumably we maybe looked at some others in the space when we were we we're looking at this. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, obviously we didn't go from a standing start, given my background, but yeah. there were differing levels of knowledge within the team. But despite that, you know, I held uh, about 17 separate calls with different companies, experts and regulators. Uh, we did two field trips, one to Vancouver and one to Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Vancouver, I met with and had dinner with uh, both the Canadian railroads, the Canadian uh, regulator and the Port Authority of Vancouver. So a pretty big trip. Yeah. And and then uh, in Kansas City, we met with the entire management team of CPKC, toured their hydrogen locomotives, which I'm sure we'll touch on later. Yeah. Um, and attended their capital markets day you know then there's all the less interesting stuff they're diligently going through the four and a half thousand page merger filing reading 40 to 50 other call transcripts annual Mm -hmm. reports etc etc and what about the 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 competitors that we looked up at at the same time yeah good good point so i mean we really like the industry overall and the barriers and the pricing power is something that is true across the entire industry, not right. just CPKC. So we spent a lot of time and we've narrowed down to the few that we think are most interesting. And so, you know, Canadian National has an excellent network and a good management team and Union Pacific has a very good network as well. Uh, and there's management team change going on there. Right. And, and we think for, for the better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are very much high on our watch list. Right. Uh, but we think that in terms of uh Bits for the new court strategy at the moment. CPKC is is absolutely the one. So why did this stand out for us from 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 the ones that we looked at? What makes it an attractive investment? It really boils down to the the merger between Canadian Pacific and Kansas City Southern, and I'll, I'll abbreviate those to CP and KCS. Sure, there's a lot of abbreviations. Yeah. Here, yeah. Um, and um, you know what this does is it creates the first truly North American railroad. So the the network now stretches from both Canadian coasts through the U.S. Midwest down to the Gulf Coast and into southern Mexico. So these two railroads used to meet at a shared yard in Kansas City and have shared that yard for decades. And you put these two together and and I think now arguably you have the, the best infrastructure asset on the continent. The key for me and what I want to kind of leave listeners with is that what you've now created is a premium service, but that has lower costs than its competitors. Um, so the analogy I like to use is is one of an airline. So let's imagine that to fly from London to Rome previously, you had to connect in Paris and have a four hour layover. Yeah. Someone comes along and offers you a direct service. 
traffic on that line is going to increase dramatically. Um, but from the consumer's perspective, you know, it's going to be cheaper. There's one flight. There's yeah. going to be fewer disruptions as there's less things to go wrong. Uh, it's going to be considered the premium option. And in this case, you know, the costs are going to be lower. Yeah. And um, the key differences between the railroads and, and the airline analogy is that firstly, it, this can't be re replicated. Another airline can't come in and, and, and replicate what they're doing. You know, the, the track is stuck in the ground and it can't change. Yeah. But also, I think, you know, the time savings are even more significant. I, I, I don't think it's particularly intuitive, but to move traffic from one railroad to another, mm. it takes days and often over a week. To change from one to another. Yeah. Right. And so when you cut that change out, you dramatically increase the speed in which you can move goods between Canada, the Midwest and, and, and uh, Mexico. So this really opens up huge opportunities for just numerous industries. The way I like to kind of describe it is that um, historically CP was kind of origin rich. So if you think about Canada, it's it's got an abundance of natural resources, yeah. lumber, grain, fertilizers, etc. But Canadian Pacific couldn't really get that anywhere. Now it can get the lumber down to that fast growing housing market in, in Texas. Yeah. Um, and it can get grain all the way down into um, to Mexico, which is a big importer of grain. And, and it's not just one way moves, it's the other way. Yeah. Mexico is the, you know, called the fruit and veg basket of the US Midwest. So you're, you're returning traffic and that makes it a very efficient railroad. And presumably you can now move things that you couldn't previously. I'm thinking sort of perishable goods and that sort of thing that maybe wouldn't have gone by railroad before. Yeah, that's a really good point. So, you know, historically you would move the less time sensitive stuff on rail and save the more time sensitive stuff for truck. And then now here you're actually seeing customers move perishable goods. So Americold, which is the largest cold chain logistics business in the US, has just signed an agreement with CPKC. They've elected to build their warehouses and, and distribution centres on their um, on their track. They're effectively kind of choosing to be captive to this railroad. And it's the first time we're ever going to see refrigerated goods moving across the US-Mexican border by rail. You know, it really has opened up a whole new market, this this additional um, service. Visible results already there. Yeah. So presumably as well, there are some more immediate sort of financial benefits and, and synergies that, that we'll see coming through. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I think going back to the kind of analogy of the airline and the dramatic increase in business is a useful one. This isn't just like two businesses coming together that are hoping to cross sell some products and are, are touting revenue synergies. This is a, a creation of a new product. Yeah. We were very clear in the work that we did that the management uh, targets of achieving about $1.3 billion in an incremental revenue in three years was just far too low. We thought it could have been 2x that number. And um, and actually, the company recently has communicated at the Capital Markets Day that they see a, a total revenue growth opportunity over the next five years of about five billion Canadian dollars. To put that in perspective, combined revenues last year were about 13 billion. Okay, so, so significant. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. And, and it's not just revenue. It's also on the margin as well. So one of the things with railroads is the longer you can haul something, the better the margins you can make on it because it's less competition from truck and fewer other modes of transport can kind of come along. The new business coming along to CPKC is going to be very long haul in nature. You know, prime example would be Canadian grain going down to Mexico we spoke right. about earlier. Yeah. And also KCS wasn't the best run railroad. Mm -hmm. And now you're taking that asset and putting it in the hands of the best management team in the industry yeah. who are going to be able to get a lot more of those, out of those assets. Sure. 
and that leads nicely into my my sort of next next area I wanted to talk about, which is which is the management. I mean, that's always something that we think very closely about uh, when we're looking at investing in uh, for, for Newcourt. Um, so, what are our what are our thoughts about the the team and the culture there? Yeah, well, I think you know they're they're not just best in class, but I think they're best in almost any class, and I I don't think it would be a step too far to say that they are a, a legendary management team. Um, they're certainly one that we are uh, happy to partner with over the long term. Yeah, and and so to give you some background, which I think is really useful. The management team that currently runs CP mm-hmm. used to run Canadian National. When they were there running Canadian National, it was the best run railroad in North America. And Canadian Pacific was the worst run railroad in North America. Okay. There was an activist battle that moved the management team over from one to the other. And within very short order, that management team took the worst run railroad and made it the best run railroad. The the, the change was dramatic. Um, and so the CEO, who is Keith Creel, he was a chief operating officer of Canadian National, and he came over and he is uh, really the, the protege of the standout rail operator of the last 50 years, who totally revolutionised the way that railroads are run, mm-hmm. this guy called Hunter Harrison. Keith was handpicked by Hunter in his early 20s. The really interesting thing is, is in the in the work we did, we found even the competitors of uh, CPKC would flag Keith as the best operator and, and the best management team overall being CPKC, which I really found telling. So there is some key man risk there. I was going to say, uh, how long is he tied in for? So he's tied in through 2026. But right, when you talk okay. to him, it's very, very clear that this isn't financial. This is a legacy thing for him. He's, he knows he's putting together, you know, the last big merger in the North American rail industry. And he's creating something. He's got one shot to do it properly. Sure. And he will take his time and he will make sure. And he, he is he is a, an amazing guy to speak to. And uh, you can tell that, that this is you know going to be the thing he does right and, you know, some interesting things there to kind of highlight that maybe is he's moved himself and his family from Calgary to Kansas City. And he's moved a lot of his other executives right. and their families. I mean, I've not come across another company that have moved their entire management teams and families to oversee the integration yeah. of two businesses. Yeah. And I think that just tells you just a huge amount about this management team and their commitment to making this work. It's not just the CEO. You're going to say that you presumably met people. Yeah. And, and in the they're, management team, they're all hugely impressive. So, uh, you know, one of the stories that comes to my mind is when I um, was having dinner in um, Vancouver, it was with this uh, second or third in command in the operations of CPKC. And firstly, the way he spoke about training and, and um, the emphasis he put on that I, was was kind of second to none. But then when he began to speak about Keith, what I found really interesting is I've never heard a senior executive talk about their CEO with such pride. And what it really said to me was, you know, people want to play for the winning team. Yeah. And and really what you've done here is just attract just best in uh, best in class operators. And everyone wants to work for Keith and in this kind of this winning team. Mm-hmm. For instance, also, when we went to the Capital Markets Day, uh, yeah. we got a chance to meet one on one with pretty much all of the C-suite. Right. Uh, and we were impressed by them all. Brilliant. Changing tax slightly. I think one of the things that surprised me when we started to look at this industry was that these huge trains, which sort of in my mind before knowing anything would have been hugely polluting, um, are perhaps a more sustainable transport solution for for freight. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and I think it's a really good point. You know, I think if you if you look at these uh, huge diesel locomotives, yeah. you would tend to think that they are pretty polluting. But then if you kind of put it in the context of these things could be three miles long, running, um, you know, very efficiently steel wheels on steel rails, there's very low friction. Mm-hmm 
that they once they're going, they're really not stopping, sure. right? And, yeah. and and so they're hugely fuel efficient. And to kind of put some numbers around it for you, um, if you shift traffic from the road to rail, you reduce emissions by about seventy five percent. You know, you can move a ton of freight on a railroad uh, about 500 miles on a single gallon of diesel. Now, think about miles per gallon you get on your car. Like it's it's dramatically different. Yeah. You know, a single train can take 300 truckloads of goods. And the merger specifically that we've been talking about is expected to take about 130 to 200,000 trucks off the road in pretty short order. So it's, it's, it's pretty material. Yeah. And then, you know, it's looking at, at CPKC. They are really at the frontier of kind of decarbonizing rail. So they were frustrated with the, the lack of progress from the locomotive manufacturers and taking it on themselves to build their own hydrogen locomotives. Right. They've got two that uh, Michelle and I uh, toured when we we're in Kansas City. Right. And they've now partnered with another railroad to begin to get you know the momentum behind this. And outside this, they've committed to reaching net zero by 2050. And, and those are targets that are backed by the SBTI, which is the Science Based Targets Initiative. And, and they also uh, received an A from the Carbon Disclosure Project. So that means that when we're digging into these type of things, we yeah. get all the detail we need to really appraise their environmental credentials. Sure. And also, I guess, from a from a safety perspective, not necessarily just the sort of uh, emissions, but it's it's much safer to be transporting things like hazardous chemicals down a railroad than it is for, in trucks that go through sort of urban areas and, and, and through residential areas as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a couple of points here. Firstly, just um, thinking about the movement of these goods, if you're taking hazardous uh, chemicals, when they're on the railroads, they're on segregated lines. Mm -hmm. If they're on truck, you know, they're moving alongside other traffic. Yeah. It's just much better to be segregated. Um, but the safety metrics are night and day between truck and railroads. Railroads are materially safer. You know, there has been a lot of news around rail safety. There was a yeah. pretty awful accident on Norfolk Southern. And, um, you know, there's there's likely to be some some changes here. But the key thing I, I'd like to kind of flag here is that, that CP has consistently been the best run railroad from a safety perspective. What was really interesting was that the chairman of the regulator, when they approved the merger of CP and KCS, they cited that any share that CP gains from any other railroad or any truck will make America safer. And I think that's pretty compelling when you have the regulator saying sure. that. Sure. No, absolutely. And I suppose that leads into a sort of the, the wider issue of, of risks. Obviously, when we look to invest in a business, we spend um, as much time, maybe if not more, thinking about the risks and thinking about what could go wrong. Um, so, you know, what, what are the main things that we're thinking about and, and monitoring there? So for me, really, the big three risks that I think about the kind of tail risks are firstly merger misexecution, secondly Mexican political risks and thirdly increased regulation. Um, and just to kind of jot through some of those, merger misexecution, uh, you know, you're putting together two logistics businesses. It's very difficult. Mm. Now, what I'd say is that given the idiosyncrasies of, of the uh, antitrust laws of railroads, Canadian Pacific has actually owned KCS for two years. Really? Yeah. It only just got approval to begin in integrating it in, in earlier this year. So they've had two years where they've owned the asset and they've been able to sit down, you know, on a weekly and monthly basis and plan very, very minute detail about how they're going to integrate this, yeah. which is just something you just don't get the luxury of normally. Sure. No. And, um, you know, thinking about the Mexican political risks, the 
asset in Mexico is operated on a concession. It's 50 years plus a right to extend for a further 50 years. But you always have to be kind of careful about the political situation. Um, and um, it's an area we've done a lot of work. We've spoken to numerous regulators in Mexico, political experts and economists. Uh, but what I think really the important point is, is that the US is, is the key trading partner of, of Mexico. Absolutely. Firstly, you'll kind of have some protection as enshrined in new NAFTA. But secondly, the only railroads to operate north of the border are railroads that own Mexican concessions. Right. So if you if you take away a concession from one of these companies, you effectively cut yourself off from your largest tra- trading partner. So there is a greater balance of power yeah, here yeah. than there is in a lot of situations. And then finally, on these cre- increased regulation, it seems very likely that in the US we're going to see some some regulation that kind of encourages some more competition between the railroads. Uh, that doesn't really concern us. I mean, they're basically just copying the system we have in Canada. And the railroad network there has just flourished under that. And after the, the Norfolk Southern incident, the derailment that I mentioned earlier, yeah. there's likely to be some tightening of, of safety standards. Uh, all seems very manageable. And the key thing I'd like to highlight there is that the changes that have been made since then that have tightened up some safety standards, Canadian Pacific has already been running much tighter safety standards than those already. Right. So I think that that that's pretty interesting. So there are risks, but I think they are are manageable and and, uh, and but we continue to monitor them. And I suppose to a certain degree, it's a cyclical industry, right? That 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 it will ebb and flow with you know with the economy, albeit these things have been around for so long that they've been through many cycles. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we over our ownership period and, you know, when we tend to think about our holding period like 10 years, we would expect there to be multiple cycles. So it's, I suppose, less of a risk, more of a certainty. But you're right that volumes are going to go up and down Mm -hmm. with the economy. Now, really, given the kind of environmental characteristics and the cost saving that you can get from rail versus truck, you'd hope over time that the the volumes uh, do pretty well versus GDP. And then that's just compounded by the pricing that they get. Right. So it's it's something that we watch and we monitor to make sure we're not, you know, buying these things when when they're meaningfully above normalized or, you know, but uh, longer term, it's, it's less of a concern to the value creation. Understood. Well, Rory, thank you. I think drawing things to a close, that's been uh, really interesting, even for uh, for those of us who uh, perhaps aren't so keen on trains as, as you are. Um, thank you very much for your time today and uh, thank you all very much for listening. Thank you. Please note, this audio content is produced by Rothschild & Co for information purposes only. The podcast is not provided as a solicitation, recommendation or invitation to buy or sell any security, fund or any other banking or investment product. Nothing in this podcast constitutes advice of any sort, and no responsibility is accepted in relation to the content accuracy or any reliance on the information provided. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not recover the amount of your original investment. Past performance should not be taken as a guide to future performance. This content should only be used or reproduced with the express written permission of Rothschild & Co.